Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues with part five of the six-part series, 180, Turn Your Life Around. Where we invest our money is oftentimes where we invest our hearts. And time and again, we stretch ourselves to the limit with our finances, not allowing good stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. What are some things in your life you need to reevaluate to allow you to be more faithful with what you have been given? Amen. Well, the saga continues with our little guy trying to get fit as big, strong. Speaking of fit, look at Joe carrying that podium podium with one hand. That guy has got it going on. Thank you, Joe. Um, But uh, we continue the saga of this guy trying to get uh, his life transformed. We've been looking at the, the 180 Fitness Turn Your Life Around. Um, series, and we're going to continue that. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Nehemiah. We're looking at this because uh, none of us, as we've discovered through the previous messages and, and through the previous Sundays, none of us have gotten to the point that we're, we're good, right? Everybody in here has some other level, some other place, some other um, part of their life that God's still working on. Would you say that's true for everybody in here? I, I would think that's very true, that we're all in need of God continuing to transform our lives, continuing to take us to another level. And so we want to continue to look at this. Um, we're looking at it out of the book of Nehemiah for one reason. Nehemiah was a, a Jewish guy who had been taken captive. And uh, as we'll read in just a moment, Nehemiah had one job. It was very insignificant when compared to other jobs. Um, his job was to be the wine tester. Now, it sounds like a great gig, right? All you do is test wine all day. The problem was, if someone was trying to kill the king by poisoning him, who got the poison first? It was Nehemiah. So not a lot of worth placed on his life. If he died, they simply went and got somebody else and put somebody else there to t- taste the wine. But what's awesome about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah went from being a wine tester, somebody whose life seemingly had little value, but to God mattered very much. And he takes Nehemiah from a wine tester to be the governor of Judah, literally the rebuilder of Jerusalem, the walls that had been destroyed. He rebuilt the walls so that God's people would not be a disgrace to the folks around, that they would see that God was on the throne and that the God they served was the one true God. And so Nehemiah does this. And we're going to read in um, Nehemiah chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. Um, We're going to read the entire thing. So bear with me. Um, I'll pronounce most of these names with a Spanish accent, but that's okay. Um, I don't think that was how it was, but it works, okay? So um, Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, When wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, this is Nehemiah speaking. I had not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. 
When Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up by the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials of any other, or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalot the Horonite, Tobiah, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is it you are, that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you shall have no inheritance. Or you, you, shall, you shall have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that it speaks to us today. Thank you, God, that it is living and active and that it works in our lives and in our hearts. God, I pray that we will become a people who not only reads the word, but God applies it in our lives and that it will begin to transform us into your image more and more. God, that you would literally begin to transform us into everything that you have created us to be, that we would be able to shine your light in a dark world. I pray, God, that our hearts would be burdened for the lost and the hurting, and God, that you would send laborers into your harvest fields to begin to bring in those who are far from you. God, help us to connect unbelievers to you and believers to each other, that we can move as one person, with a, as a mighty force, to change the landscape of this community and this country, God. We love you, and we thank you. Thank you that no task is too large for you. We praise you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' awesome and mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, today, what we want to do is begin looking the next two weeks, really, about how we're using our resources. One of the things that I see with Nehemiah is that God gave him a ton of resources. God blessed him beyond belief with, with the things that he would need to accomplish the task that God gave him. But one of the things that Nehemiah had to do was he had to be faithful. He had to be a good steward of all the things that God had given him. And so we're going to begin to look at that over the next couple of weeks. Look back there at Nehemiah chapter 2, get in verse 1. And, and what you begin to see is that even in the midst of a situation that wasn't perfect, Nehemiah had remained faithful, had he not? I mean, come on, he comes in the presence of the king every day with a cup of wine, and the king recognizes the one day that Nehemiah sat. Now, he had reason to be sad. He was in captivity. He was testing why every day he could have been killed. And yet, he came into the king's presence, and he was being faithful with what he had to do at the very moment. The key to this is, listen, he was doing this in poor circumstances. There are a lot of you who are sitting here today who would say that right now my life is in poor circumstances. But what we learn from Nehemiah is this, that if we will be faithful with what God has already given us, he will give us more. 
And we begin to see that the problem with Christians is we don't want to be faithful in poor circumstances, right? As soon as things don't go our way, we begin to grumble, we begin to complain, we begin to curse God, and we turn and go our own way. And God is saying, listen, if you'll just remain faithful to what I've given you to do, I've got the road laid out before you, I've got a plan for your life. Quit jumping around, quit jumping from church to church, quit jumping from man to man, quit jumping from woman to woman, from marriage to marriage, and settle in and be faithful with what I've already given you to do. That is what God is teaching us very early on because so many times in our life, we can't see the path that God has for us. And so we begin to do what? Put our hands on it and try to make it work out for ourselves. And what God's telling us is just be faithful to what I've given you. Just be faithful. And listen, some of you are going through things right now. You can't see the way out. And what God would say is just cling tight to me. Hold tight to me because I have a plan. I have a way out. I have the destiny in mind for you. And the plan is good. And God wants to use you excuse me, in mighty and awesome ways. It goes on, and, and it's unbelievable that, that Nehemiah, he walks through the uncertainty we talked about a few weeks ago, and he comes to this place where he's standing before the king, and his opportunity is there to ask the king for what he needs to go back. First of all, just to let him go. I mean, he could have been killed, but he steps up, and it says that he prayed to the God of heaven, and then he makes his request known. And what's awesome about this is that the king gives him more than he probably ever thought he would have gotten. He gives him more than he ever really thought the king would do. He gives him uh, resources as far as things to build with. He gives him protection. He gives him a letter so that no one would harm him. And so they go, and, and he begins to take the resources he was given, and he begins to be faithful with those. The awesome thing about this is that when we're faithful with a little God always gives us more. God always gives us more. We've got to begin to see that. If we'll be faithful with a little, God will give us more. Now think about this. What if Nehemiah had been given more? What if he'd been faithful, even through the poor circumstances? God had given him more, and then he goes and he's got the letters. He gets there safely. He's got the protection of the letter and this, this Calvary. He gets there safely, and then he's got the wood to build everything, but he builds him a big mansion, and he spends the rest of his life trying to protect it. He never would have gotten to where God wanted him to be. He never would have become the governor of Judah. He never would have rebuilt the walls of the, of the, the city of God. Listen, God is calling us today. And you need to, if you're, you're asleep, wake up right here. Because God is calling us to be the rebuilders of the walls. He's calling us to step up and begin to do what, what nobody else can do. We are the children of God. And God desires that we would be faithful with all of our resources so that we can begin to rebuild the kingdom of God, that we can begin to take back from the devil what he's stolen. Some of you are sitting here today, and the devil has stolen things from you. And God is saying, listen, stand up under the power and the authority of God and begin to take back what is rightfully yours. But if we're going to do that, we've got to be faithful with all of our resources. Some of us are in situations where we don't think we can come out on the other side. Some of you, though, have been through those situations, and you came out on the other side, and it's become a testimony of your life. And I want to tell you something. I love being with people who've been to hell and have come back because once you've been there and you've seen Jesus bring you through it, you're not afraid of it anymore. Amen. I love that because you're not scared anymore. You're willing to go and do all that God puts in your heart to do. And we need to realize that God is calling us to do that. But we can't take the resources of God, sit on them, and try to guard them for the rest of our lives. But would you not say that that's the American church? Is that not the American way? 
that, that we accumulate everything we can, and then we build a wall around it, and we say, don't touch my stuff. We were at the beach this week, and if I heard, it was, it was eight adults and eight kids, if I heard that's mine once, I heard it a thousand times. All of them were nine or under. And if I heard that's mine uh, once, but we're the same way. God, you can have my life. We'll come to the altar and we'll weep and wail and we'll, we'll oh God, oh, you're, we, I repent, I repent. And then God says, well, give me a tithe of everything you've made. And we go, oh God, don't you touch that. That's mine. That's mine. And we say the same thing that our kids say. But if we're going to get to the place that God wants us to be, we've got to be faithful with all of our resources. Listen to this. I want to encourage you about your faithfulness. How many of you have ever heard this little thing? I wrote it down because I didn't want to screw it up. I've heard people quote it, and I love it, but I want to put a little different spin on it. It's about sin. It says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Anybody ever heard that? I heard it several times. Preachers use it all the time. It's a great little thing. And, and you think about it. What sin literally means, sin is, is to miss the mark, okay? In the Bible, when that word you see sin, it literally means to miss the mark. And so in our lives, when we miss the mark, we're not being faithful with what God's called us to do. We're not being obedient to what God's called us to do. And so we miss the mark. But listen to this. I want to tell you what I believe faithfulness does for you. Faithfulness will take you farther than you thought you could go. When you're faithful to God, God pours resources into your life. He begins to give you opportunity to go farther than you thought you would go. Do you think that when Nehemiah was standing there about to wet his pants before the king, when he's about to ask if I can go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of this city, do you really think that he was thinking, and when I get there one day, I'll be the governor of Judah? No. He was thinking, I hope I can just get there. If I don't get killed before I get there. But God had bigger plans. God had a bigger purpose. But it, it cost him being faithful with everything. Faithfulness will keep you longer than you thought you could stay. When you're faithful with God and he's pouring his heart into you and you're pouring your, his heart out on other people, faithfulness will keep you longer than you thought you could stay. Listen, you can always take another step. God will always give you the strength to go and, and to hold on and to persevere. And when you're being faithful, you can, you can stay longer than you thought you could ever stay. And it will reward you more than you thought you could ever be rewarded. Your faithfulness in God will always reward you more than you thought you could be rewarded. But let me throw a little asterisk by that. It may not mean that you have the mansion on the hill. It may, I can't even hardly watch church TV anymore, not like any of the church, because every time I turn it on there, they're raising money. And every time they're telling me, if you'll send me a $1,000 seed, then you're going to be blessed. And I'm like, what? You know, and, and I understand that you cannot outgive God. You've heard me say that, but I get tired of hearing people peddle the word of God for money. But we do have to be faithful with all of our resources. And our rewards may not look like what we think they are going to look like. But I guarantee you, do you really think that when Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel he had the right to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus, do you really think he regrets that? And he hadn't even thought about it in years because he's been praising Jesus, looking at the throne of God for all those years. You will be rewarded so much more if you'll be faithful to God than you ever thought you could be rewarded. And so we've got to begin to see this. 
How we steward what we've been given will directly affect our transformation. That's what I want us to look like, look at today. Specifically today, if you're a visitor, I, you know, this is like bad luck for you, I guess, maybe. I, I really believe it'll be good for you. But today we're talking about stewarding our money. And, and, and see, some of you just went, <sighs> just like that. I mean, I just saw his walls went, <sighs> and like you built a little fortress around you. You're like, nope, not, don't touch my money. And, and, and here you go. Here he goes again. Another preacher. I want money. And, and that's the thought, right? Is that I just want your money. And, and I don't want you to think that. I want us to look at it this week as, as how that affects our transformation. I want you to see that the tithe is intended to set you free, not hold you down. It is. And if you begin to trust God with that, you will see so many times how it breaks the chains off of your life financially. And so we're going to begin to look at it. Hey, y'all help me preach this one today. You ready? Let's have a, I want to have fun today. Let's have fun. You want to do that? All right, let's have fun today. It'll be a good time. All right, so we're going to look at the money. First of all, I want to say this. I want to go ahead and like those walls that some of you just built up, I want us to just kind of take those down. First thing is this. I'm not looking to buy a boat or a beach house, okay? So we're not talking about money so that I can, I can go buy. I mean, I enjoyed the beach, but I, I may build a house in the mountains, not in the beach. Beach, not so much my thing. It's sand on suntan. I, it just, I don't like it. But... I'm not looking to build a, a house. I'm not, this is not about me. This is my heart, and please hear this today. Listen, my salary, I don't control my salary. It's not about me. This is about you becoming everything that God wants you to become by being faithful with what God's given you. And hear my heart in that. So I'm not looking to get your money to try to make something of me. I'm looking to teach you what the Bible says about giving. The other thing is this, the church is not broke, okay? We, we're doing great. I mean, we are blessed beyond belief and we'll get a hundred phone calls tomorrow hey you mind if we get it but but seriously we we're not broke the church is financially healthy if you ever want to see the books come by we'll print them out for you we got nothing now we're transparent we got a board that looks at them every month and says why did you buy that paper well we needed paper to print things on well, you got to watch the spend. I mean, literally, they look at everything that we, we spend, and they, they look at it to make sure we're being faithful with it. And, and so it, it's not about us being broke. It's not about me. I'm not going to stand up here today and tell you that if you will give us your tithe check today, that tomorrow when you open the mailbox, man, oh, man, when you pull open that door, just money flowing. I did not have Susan dress up with pink hair today and a bunch of makeup. That's not where we're going with this, okay? We're, we're not doing that. We're, we're not going to beg you for money. In fact, I don't believe that we have to beg for money when we simply teach what the Bible says about giving, right? So that's what we're doing today. One reason I think this is such a controversial topic, and, and I'm telling you, I have prayed. and I've been, See, I had to sit on this message for two weeks. And, and, and coming back to preach on money from vacation, that's, that's a great, great thing. Um, but I have prayed and I have prayed because I want to hit this right because it is a controversial topic in the church, is it not? I mean, when you look at what some people do with the money, I know what some people do with the money. And I'm telling you, it will make you not want to give to the church. Because churches have abused it. And one reason it's such a controversial issue is because it hits us right in the heart, does it not? When you start yanking on people's wallets, you get their attention. Correct? Because it is not comfortable. When you start talking about money and you see the abuses of it and it begins to pull on our heartstrings, boy, we don't like that. But I just want to tell you today what the Word of God says about it. 
I, I want to tell you uh, the, the best way I know how, and I, and I pray it'll be clear about what the Word of God says about um, giving. And so we're looking at Nehemiah and, and just how he had to steward that. But I want to turn now to the New Testament. I want to look at Luke 16, and I want you to begin to see how stewarding what God is giving you financially is crucial to your transformation. Listen to this. A steward, according in the New Testament, the, the, it, you know, I was at the beach this week, and I, I talked with a lady. I was swinging Jackson at, at, the, um, at the, the, the swing, because that's where you swing. And I was swinging Jackson, and, and she was swinging her little girl, and we talked for like two minutes. I mean, it was that brief. It was like, well, so how are you guys good? You here for the week? No, just the weekend. And then um, she said, where are you guys from? And she said, I bet it's from Georgia. Yeah, how'd you know? I could just tell. And it was because of my accent, right? So forgive me when I pronounce this word because it comes with a Georgia slash Hispanic accent that I really can't explain. But the word for steward in, in the Greek and used in the New Testament is oikonomos. Um, it refers to a manager of a house or a state. So when Jesus is telling us to manage or to be good stewards of what he's given us, he's telling us to manage what's already his, Right? Sometimes we think that it's ours. We all want to own our own house, right? But really, nothing is ours. The very beginning of the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? He created everything. It's all His to begin with. Until we realize that, we'll never be able to steward what God has given us. Until we realize that it all belongs to God in any way. All we're called to do is manage what he's already given us. And so we, we have to get that straight. If we don't get that straight, we'll never get stewarding straight. Listen to this. I want to read to you Luke 16, 10. It says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You remember we did that hoodwink series where we were talking about deception. And we talked about this being a principle that we live by with people that we know. We, we talked about the fact that give people a little. Let them be faithful with little before you give them much. Listen, that was not a man-made principle. That was God's principle. And God does the same thing with us. He does the same thing with us. He will give us a little to see if we're faithful, to see if we're, we, we're willing to be uh, trustworthy with that, and then he'll begin to give us more. It's the same way uh, with our money. It's the same thing with everything in our life. Faithfulness with little equals an increase in God's kingdom. This is God's principle. He's not going to give us more than what he knows he can trust us with. That goes for us as a church. If we're not doing what we need to do to take care of people that God's sending, do we really think that God's going to send the lost into this place? No. We need to be faithful with what gives us, God gives us in our finances, with people, in every area of our life. The, the fact that we have to be faithful with little is no more true than when it's pertaining to our money. Listen to this, Luke 16, 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So I believe Jesus taught so much about money. I believe it's such an important principle because Jesus knew that this was going to be the one thing that challenged our heart for God more than anything else, right? I mean, you think about how much our world revolves around money. It revolves around money. And so Jesus taught on this because he knew that this would be the number one thing that tugged on our heart 
And it, he knows that if we'll be faithful with, true, with earthly riches, then he can trust us with worldly riches. But we've got to be willing to be faithful with what God's given us financially or we'll never make it. 16, 11, and 12, just reading on, it says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I want you to hear this. Listen, the tithe... The, the giving to the church, the, the, the having a, a spirit of generosity to give to others, not hoarding what we've been given, it is the equivalent of a Christian gut check. Any of you know what a gut check is? You've played sports, you've probably heard the term, this, this is gut check time. This is the time where you, you dig down deep and you find something. I played freshman football in, in, in high school. We, we had a C team and then we had a new coach and he just made a freshman team, which was genius because we had 12 players, right? It was horrible. We almost died every game due to heat exhaustion. And we would be beating every team in the first half, and in the second half, they'd annihilate us because we'd give out. Our game started like in early September, so it's still like 120 when we we're playing at 4 o'clock. And, and we had 12 players. One of them was five foot seven, weighed about 380 pounds. The other one was like, he's a guy, he just couldn't like walk and, and chew bubble gum at this. I mean, he was just not an athletic type person. And, and so we basically had two people to rotate in and out. And, and the problem was uh, that, that we just gave out. But we would get there, and every game in the second half, we would be there, and we would be like, all right, guys, it's gut check time. It's time. we got to hunger down. we got to get ready. And you know what would happen is every time there would be some people who'd fold. It'd get too tough, and some people would fold. Some people couldn't make it. And I believe that's what happens when we start talking about money in the church. When, when we start talking about money in the church, some people begin to fold because it's okay to be faithful up to a certain point. But when you start messing with money, people tend to fold. This is literally the gut check for us in, in our Christian walk. This is where we really see, because of our heartstrings attached to our wallet, this is where we really begin to see how faithful we're willing to be to God. Luke 16, 13, listen to this. It says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. One thing that the tithe and giving to the church and, and being stewards of your money does is it makes you decide who will be the master and frees you to live for God. See, one thing that this does, this is such an awesome thing about the tithe and giving to the church and, and giving to, to just a spirit of generosity. What it begins to do is it begins to break the attachments of the world. See, the problem with our money is most of our lives, in most people's lives, their heartstrings are attached to their wallet. And, and so when you begin to mess with the wallet, as I've said, you begin to really freak people out. But what begins to happen is when you begin to give to God, what's his already. You begin to honor God with, with the, the first 10% of your money. You begin to, to respect the tithe that has been going on ever since um, Abraham. Then what begins to happen is you begin to cut those strings that are attached from your heart to your wallet, and it begins to set you free to live for God. Listen, you know, one thing that I realized, how many of you have ever invested in a stock? Have you ever invested in stocks? How many of you would say you never looked at what stocks did until you invested in a stock? 
you put some money in a mutual fund and all of a sudden you're on there, you know, looking at it, what's it doing today? Or you buy a stock and you're like, what's it doing? When you begin to invest in something, it turns your heart to that. It turns your heart. When you begin to invest in the kingdom of God, your heart begins to be turned to that. When you begin to take a step of faith in your giving and you're giving to God what's rightfully his, you begin to take a step of faith that turns your heart to God. Now listen to this, because here's the argument. So many people will say this, that the tithe was an Old Testament law and that we no longer need to observe it. But I want to look at that real quick with you because there's a little scripture in Genesis chapter 14. And it has to do with Abraham. And I want to read to you Genesis 14, 17 through 20. Abraham, his, uh, he had just come back from routing some enemies. Um, he had gone uh, to, to get his relative Lot and his possessions who had been taken captive. And he took 318 men and defeated four armies. That's pretty impressive, right? And so he comes back, and this is what the Bible says. After Abram returned from defeating and the king's allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava. That is the king's valley. And listen to this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And listen to this. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now this is an incredibly important scripture, because here we see that the first tithe was given before the law ever came into existence. We always go back to the Levitical law and say, well, a tenth of everything had to go to the house of God. If you look at it, it always came to the house of God. In the New Testament, that would be the church. It always came to the house of God, a tenth of it. And the thing would be to say, well, when it, once we got into the New Testament, once we got into Jesus, that it was done away with. But it was preceding the law. And so what we begin to see is that the first tithe was given hundreds of years before the law was ever actually even written. It preceded the law. Listen to this, Matthew Chapter 23. 23, 23, and 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind gods, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. In this scripture, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, who they were, they were giving a tenth of all that they had, but they were neglecting everything else. They, they, they weren't doing the more important things of what Jesus says is the faith. But he doesn't say you should neglect the tithe and just do these. He says you should do the former, but don't neglect the latter. You need to take care of, of, of all of this. It should all be a part of what you do. And, and so when we begin to realize that this is a Christian discipline, this is not something that was ended, that, that it stopped. This is something that God is still calling us to. And when we begin to realize that God even set this up to be a source of freedom for us, a source of cutting those heartstrings so that our lives are not dictated by the dollar. You know, one of the things that you always hear people say is that um, money is the root of evil. Have you ever heard people say that? Money is the root of evil. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of evil. And so the thing we have to realize is that a dollar bill in and of itself is not evil. It's a piece of paper. It's not going to jump on your throat and choke you to death. It's not inherently evil. But when we fall in love with the dollar, that's the problem. 
And I believe that one of the things the tithe does is it's, it's set up so that we are able to begin to cut those heartstrings that are attached to our wallet. They're attached to the almighty dollar. And we begin to be set free to live for God. I want to tell you a couple of ways that I believe this happens. One way that I believe that it breaks attachments to the world is this. It reveals our heart and our need for a Savior. There's another thing about this. When you start looking at money, it will reveal the selfishness in you. Listen, we went to the beach, as I've said this week, and it was awesome. We had eight adults and eight kids, eight kids, nine and under. And, and you want to have, like, the selfishness revealed. You want to see selfishness in people. One, you can watch little kids interact with each other. They fought over, like, the we. We've got miles of beach, and they fought over the we. Absolutely insane. And then you, you watch, but you watch adults, too, and, and you just get to that point where you're just ready to snap. Because they're fighting, and you're just like, you know. And finally, one of the parents just has a meltdown, which we, we saw a few times where it would be just be like, and they couldn't stand it anymore. And the head, it's like the head just wanted to spin around in circles. And there's a, and it reveals just your human nature. It's like we talked about before, it almost like it peels another layer away. I mean, I came back going, God, I am a sinful and wretched man. Yeah, I, I recognize the sin in other people. And so we began to realize this. And, and, and when we began to look at money, it begins to reveal the same thing. It reveals our heart and our need for a Savior. It begins to point directly to the fact that we need a Savior. We need to be saved. It points to our selfishness. Two, it neuters the power of money over our life. It begins to take away the power. Listen, money can drive us so much. There are so many people who are absolutely miserable because they're chasing a dollar. When we begin to give it to God and realize it's not ours to start with, it will free you from chasing things that don't last anyway. What percent of all that you accumulate in this life are you going to take with you? Okay, zero. I'm answer that. <laughs> Zero percent. When I was in uh, graduated college, I, I worked for, um, I ended up in a roofing business, which had to be God, because I never actually planned on being in a roofing business. And, and I get there, and one day, um, um, I was getting ready to go in and, and work in this roofing business, and the owner of the sister company comes to me, and he says, hey, I need to talk with you. Will you come ride with me? I was like, sure. So I go and ride, and he's like, listen, I want to give you this company. The person who's running, they're about to leave. I want to give you this company. I didn't know that it was like way in debt at the time. No wonder he wanted to give it to me, right? And so he's like, but I want you to come run it and I'm going to give it to you. Well, there was an old superintendent that was working on the job um, that I was actually working on at the time. I get back to the job site and he pulls me over to the side. He was one of these old guys. I mean, you shook his hand and it was like shaking sandpaper. You know what I mean? He'd worked all, he just kind of crass. Everybody was kind of afraid of him because he would just jump at you and cuss you out. I mean, he'd call you things that I had never heard before. I mean, he just made up words to call you. But for some reason, he kind of took to me. And so he calls me to the side, and he's like, what did he want with you? I mean, well, he said he wanted to give me the, the business. He wanted to give me the, the business and, and like, like all of it. And he said, son, what's 100% of nothing? I said, well, nothing. He said, exactly. He said, if you take that, then you're a bleepity bleep fool. And I was like, okay, enough said. But it's kind of the same way with us and our stuff, right? We take 0% with us. 
What is 0% of nothing? What is 0% of 50? Nothing. What is 0% of 20%? Nothing. It is nothing. We take nothing, and yet we let it drive our lives. Am I, it, right? We let it drive our lives. And we need to get to a place where we realize if we will do what God's called us to do, what God's asked us to do, it will begin to cut those, those strings that are attached from our heart to our wallet. It will begin to set us free to live for God. Listen, I've got this basset hound at home. His name's Charlie. Some of you have seen Charlie. You don't have to look very fast to see Charlie because Charlie doesn't move very often. He's a neutered, he is a neutered basset hound. I, he just lays around in the yard. And, and you know, he, he, I, sometimes I wonder if he has to decide to breathe. I mean, because he just lays there. There are some nights I go into our, or go into our house, and he'll be laying like over by this one particular bush. And, and he'll be laying there, and all of a sudden, uh, he, he'll, he'll just look up at me. And, like, yeah, and he'll lay his head. And then I'll go in, I'll come back out the next morning. It's like 12, 13 hours later. You know what Charlie's doing? I'll walk over like this. And I'm looking to see if he's breathing. Because he just, it's like he has no purpose for life. And, and you know, the thing I think about is when we begin to give to God what's God's, we, we get to this point where money no longer has any control. It, it's practically like Charlie. It, it just, it has no life. We, we literally take the life out of it. And so we get to this place, if we'll trust God with what's God's, we'll give to God what God asks of us. We'll begin to cut those strings. We'll begin to see that God sets us free from the bondage to this materialistic world. And God will begin to, to set us free from having to live for the almighty dollar. Another thing that it does is it it's, helps us see that God's word is actually true. How many of you have ever um, actually like decided, okay, I'm going to actually apply God's word for a period of time, and you're like, and you're like, oh my gosh, it works. Anybody ever done that? That's how I was with tithing. I was like, wow, I started writing a tithe check, and, and I'd always heard preachers like, hey, in God's economy, you can live off of 90%, more than you can live off of 100%. And I heard that all my life, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, it works. It does. And the cool thing is today, I mean, I, I want to set you free from thinking you have to give 10% because you can give 11, you can give 12, you can give 20, you can give, 30, you can give as much as you want to. But it, it begins to work and you begin to see that God's word is true. One of the honest, honest to God. One of the reasons that Susan and I have been able to take steps of faith that we've taken is because we've sown into the kingdom of God and we just know that every step we take, God is going to take care of us. We've seen our income go... Right? It was like... Right? But we haven't missed a beat. God has met our needs everywhere we turn. Every time we think there's something that's going, not going to work out, there's, there's a bill that's not going to, it works out. And God takes care of us. And, and it gives us confidence to live. And we begin to see that God's word is true. The next thing, it frees us from worry. And it turns our hearts to heaven. How many of you, in looking at Matthew chapter 6, how many of you have ever heard this scripture? We as Christians love this scripture. 
But seek first his kingdom, this is 633, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anybody ever been in church and heard that verse? We hear it all the time. But the thing that's cool about it is if you back up a few verses, you see that Jesus starts talking about not storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy in verse 19, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he goes on and he says no one can serve two masters. He goes through that. And then he starts talking about not worrying. When we begin to put our treasure in heaven and we quit trying to stockpile it on earth, it will break the bondage of worry over your life because you realize that the things that I am putting my life into are eternal. The things that really matter are eternal. And again, it begins to break those attachments over our life. Look back at Luke chapter 16. Getting ready to wrap up. Luke 16, 14 through 15. It says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Listen to this. There's a huge misconception about tithing, and it's this, and about giving to the church. And that is that we think it's all about a money issue. And when you boil it down to its simplest form, it's really a heart issue. It's about God having our heart. See, there's a huge change that begins to happen in our lives when we become a Christian. Because see, in the Old Testament, they lived in this legalistic system where they had to give. They had to do. It was a thing where they lived out of guilt and legalism. But when Jesus came on the scene, it shifted everything and we began to live out of grace and gratitude. When you think about what Jesus did for you, when you have those moments where you realize the wretchedness of who you are, when you realize that there is no way on earth I could approach a holy God, and you begin to recognize this, and you realize that Jesus has forgiven me of my sin, does that not bring gratitude? And even if you want to try to make a theological argument about the tithe in the New Testament, why would we want to give God any less? Why? When we think about what God's done for us, why would we want to give Him any less? We need to realize it's about the heart. We need to realize, too, guys, that you can be right in your tithe check and it not honor God. God's more interested in your heart. But a heart that loves God, the Bible says, will obey His commands. And so we begin to live out of grace and gratitude. Love becomes the motivation for our giving, not a sense of guilt or duty. You don't give, listen to this, you don't give to be accepted. You give because you have been accepted. God has accepted you, and out of gratitude, we begin to give to God what is God's. I want to go real quick through a couple of things about why people don't tithe. And I feel like this is important, so if you zone out, kind of come back with me. But why people don't tithe. One, is they're just not saved. I mean, listen to this. And this is not like saying, you're, if you're not tithing, you're not, I'm not saying that. Hear me, don't like, go, well, he's a jerk. Okay? What I'm saying is, if you, if you haven't given your life to Christ, why would you give? to God, what's God's. 
It would be foolish. Just take your money and go buy another car or go do whatever it is you need to do. But when you become a Christian, there becomes this, this, this gratitude to give back to God what is God, to give God the, temp, the first 10% of what you make, to give to God what is already his. And so we become a Christian and, and we begin to realize this. But if you're not saying, listen, the first step of stewardship for you today would be that you decide that I want to give my life to Christ. That's the first step of stewardship that you can make is to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Listen, we're doing baptisms this afternoon. You don't have to sign it. You just show up at 4 o'clock. There's plenty of water in the river. We're not going to run out. All right? You can show up and you can be baptized. We'll, we'll walk through it with you and explain to you what that means. And, and if that's your heart and that's your desire, that may be the first step of stewardship for you right here today. Another reason that you wouldn't give to God what's already God's is that you don't believe God's word. So many of us, we've got it in front of us, but in our heart of hearts, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. We just don't believe that it's really true. Another reason is that you gave your life to Jesus, but somehow you think the Bible doesn't apply to you. Don't we all do that in some way? That in some way we read it and we take the pieces that we like and the other pieces we don't like is we kind of just stick them off to the side. I don't really like that. Boy, that makes me feel good. And so we kind of push it off to the side. And so that's another reason. Uh, the fourth reason is this. We don't believe in the vision of the church we're attending. Listen, this is huge. Because as I said before, in the, in the Old Testament and, and throughout Scripture, the tithe always came to the house of God. Now listen to me. You need to be in a church that you believe in the vision of that church. You need to be in it. Why, if you aren't willing to trust us with your earthly possessions, why would you trust us with your spiritual soul, with your eternity? Why? It doesn't make sense. And we want you here. We want, because we, we need the gifts that are in you, which we'll look at some next week, so that we can impact the kingdom of God. But it only makes sense that you would be in a place that you trusted the leadership to do the most with what you invest in the kingdom of God and what you're giving to impact the world for the glory of Jesus, right? And so we need to be in a place, in a house of worship that we trust, that we believe that they're going to use the money in a wise way, in a faithful way to steward, uh, be good stewards of it themselves. You know, our vision here, and this will be very clear, is to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. It's very simple. We, we feel like God has got huge things he wants to do in this, in this community. We feel like there are many, many people who can come to know Christ if we will simply do our part. Today, as I said before, we are baptizing 11 people who made decisions for Jesus and want to live for him. If that's the type of church you want to be a part of, a church that has a heart for the lost, that is what we want to see happen, is that those who are far from God come closer to God and they draw closer to each other. How many of you today in here believe that God is big enough and powerful enough that he can impact this community for his glory and do amazing and awesome things? I believe that we are seeing the tip of the iceberg. I don't believe that God has brought us to where he's brought us in the last year and a half so that we can stop right here. I believe that there are people who are far from God who need to be reached and when we become more faithful with all that God's given us, then we too will begin to see even more that God's doing and that he's going to do through this ministry and through the work that he wants to do in Statesboro, Georgia. The last one is this. You made horrible financial decisions. And so... You can't tithe. 
I mean, and listen, here's one thing I want you to hear. I'm not going to ask you today to write a check to God for more money than's in your bank account, right? How many of you know you do that too many times you go to jail, right? <laughs> but I've heard it time and time again. You just write it. If you don't have God, listen, no, you write it, and it bounces all the way from the bank back to us, and we don't need that, right? This is what I would challenge you to do. If you're in that place today, I would challenge you that the first step of good stewardship for you is to go home and sit down with your spouse. If you're single, sit down with your checkbook and you begin to figure out how can I get my life in order, be a good steward of all the things that God has given me so that I can honor God with my giving. That would be the first step of good stewardship as you begin to look at this because some of us have not bought into the, the, the theory and, and Susan and I had struggled with this for a while and then I, I think we're on track now but the theory of if you don't have the money don't buy it right very simple theory but how hard is it to to live by when you have a credit card in your wallet and and you're getting a new credit card offer every day but when we begin to buy things that we actually have the money to buy, it makes a huge, huge difference. And so don't, don't write a bad check. Like I said, you go to jail for that. It's not making you more spiritual. It's making you, it just doesn't make sense, right? So go home and get your life. Begin to do things to get your life in order. Make decisions. Maybe you need to sell something. Maybe you need to move in a smaller house. Maybe you need to get a different car. Maybe you need to quit eating out so much. Maybe you need to quit playing golf so much. Maybe whatever it is. But we need to get our lives in order so that we can honor God with everything that he's given us. See, this is the thing that I know. The three types of people sitting here today. There's some of you who've already checked out. You're like, yep, he's talking about money. Done. I'm out of here. I don't care, don't want to hear it, don't want to listen. He's, I'm already offended. I'm never coming back. We'll miss you. I mean, I don't know what else to do. I'm just trying to teach you the word. Um, you know, I don't want you to go, but, you know, we have a nice parting gift. No, we don't really have a parting gift. If somebody asks for the parting gift, get their name and number. We'll call and apologize. Um, but, but really and truthfully, some of you have probably already said, I, I'm just not doing that. I don't buy into that. That's fine. There's nothing I can do with that. There's another group here today that, that you want to make a commitment to Jesus with your finances, but he, you'll leave here today and you'll never do anything about it. And I would say that's a large percentage of people here. And we see it every Sunday. We'll have people who come in and they, they, they come to the altar crying, weeping, and they, they make a commitment to Jesus and they want to get saved and then we never see them again. And I, I hope and pray that they're at another church, but, but we don't know. And so we come in a lot of times and we want to make a commitment. We want to do something. But many people will leave here today. And it sounds good right now. That, boy, I'm going to give to God. I'm going, he's going, man, I'm going to get to where God He's going to transform my life because he knows I'll be faithful with the, with the earthly riches. And he'll give me the heavenly stuff, man. And I'll be able to make an impact for the kingdom. But we leave here and we don't do anything really about that. It's kind of like when, how many of you ever tried to fast? Oh, my gosh. I love food. I mean, I love food so much. We ate donuts every morning for breakfast last week. Absolutely incredible. I wore elastic shorts all week and my bathing suit with the string in it so I could just loosen it whenever I was, I, I started feeling the pinch, you know. But you know what happened? I got up this morning to put on a pair of jeans I hadn't put on in a week and a half. And I was like, oh my gosh. 
The donuts caught up with me. So fasting, for me, man, that is a hard thing to do. But you know what? After I eat a big lunch and I'm thinking about fasting, I'm like, yeah, I think I'll go on a three-day fast. That's what I'll do. My stomach's all full, and I'm like, man, this will be awesome. I'm going to press into God. I'm going to hear God speak like never before. And about 6 o'clock that night, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, ooh. And about 7 o'clock, I'm like, ooh. I'm like, I'll just go to bed. I'll just sleep through it, you know. I'll just sleep it off. And, and then, at like, at 1 o'clock, like, subconsciously, I'm in there with, like, easy cheese and triscuits. So, <laughs> you know, fasting is hard. And, and, but, see, it's easy when your belly's full. And some of us in here today will sit here and we'll say, listen, oh, man, yeah, I want to do this. I want to honor God with my money. I want to make decisions, even tough choices, to honor God with my finances. But when you leave here and that desire in your belly starts to grumble, it is going to be difficult. And so you really have to make a choice today that I do want to do this. I want to honor God with everything he's entrusted me. The third group is this, the ones who will actually follow through and begin to, to live their life honoring God with everything that they have. And I want to tell you this, and I want to encourage you for those who are here, and that's the decision that you'll make today, that, that, that your life will change. It will change. It will set you free. I've said that over and over again, but it's one of those things that until you actually try honoring God's Word and what God teaches us in the Scripture, you'll never really fully realize it. But I challenge you, to take a step of faith, begin to honor God with what he's given you that already belongs to him anyway and see if over time your life does not begin to change. Because when you are able to be trusted with earthly riches, God knows that he can trust you with things of heaven and things of eternity, right? We're going to close the service a little different today. We're going to give you the opportunity, if you notice, we didn't do our, our tithe and offerings when we normally do because not so we can make it a dramatic moment and hope that you write a big check and empty your savings account and give it all to the church but we want to do this for one simple reason because I want you to begin to think differently about bringing your tithe when you come to church I want you to begin to realize that this is an act of worship it is an act of giving God what's his it's not simply coming and dropping a check in the basket it's realizing that that this is something that I'm doing as a disciple of Christ. I'm going to honor Jesus with my money, and I'm going to give him what's rightfully his, and I'm believing. And this is what I want you to do, is I want you to believe, and I want you to pray that when you drop the money in the basket, that God would use it for his glory in this community, that he would give us wisdom in how we spend it, so that it could be the most effective it could possibly be in this community. That we could see thousands of people touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said thousands, that's right. I didn't say tens or hundreds. Thousands of people touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment. You'll have an opportunity to come and give your tithes and your offerings. I don't know what your step of stewardship would be today. Maybe you need to get baptized today. Maybe, maybe you need to finally take the step of faith and begin to tithe. Maybe you need to go home and begin to get your life in order so that you can honor God in every way. But whatever that is, I want to encourage you today. Encourage you today to take that step of faith. Trust God with all that he's given you. I'm going to pray and then we'll say amen. You can come and give your tithes, give your offerings. And then you'll have an opportunity to greet people as you exit. But thank you for being here. Pray that you'll come back. Um, if not, we'll miss you. 
Um, but God bless you, and we love you, and uh, let's pray.